You're listening to the Godfather and Gorney podcast on Rivals.com with your host, the Godfather of Recruiting, Mike Farrell, and National Recruiting Analyst, Adam Gorney. That's right. It's another episode of the Godfather and Gorney podcast here on Rivals.com. This is two in one week. Everybody, there was such high demand. Everybody was asking for, for more Godfather and Gorney. So we're giving it to you, Mike Farrell and Adam Gorney. Guys, let's let's jump right into it. There's a few topics we, we want to cover, uh, a few things that came up over the uh, during the week after we recorded our earlier podcast. Let's start with Byron Coward transferring out of Auburn. Um, Mike, what do, you, what do you think about that? We know, you know, when he was recruited, he was deciding between Auburn and Florida. What do you think has gone on there that that is uh, that brings this um, with him transferring? I think this is one of those things where it's very hard to to scout the um, emotional and, and, and mental aspect of football. I think he wasn't an entitled kid going through the process. He certainly wasn't a kid who thought he was the greatest. He was always working hard to try to show and prove he was greatest. And I remember him working on pass rushing moves in the hallway, uh, at, you know, at, at midnight at our five-star challenge, just always thinking about being number one and, and, and staying number one. He had a great Under Armour week. I think he got to Auburn and, and the guy he wanted to play for isn't there anymore. Um, and I think he just wasn't able to handle it as far as the expectations that come with being number one. I remember, you know, I don't talk to kids after they're done unless they talk to me, you know. So after they sign and they go off in their college or NFL career, it's not like I'm hitting them up for, you know, to, to chat or, or whatever. Um, Cowart hit me up. I think it was uh, right midway through his sophomore year or whatever. It was last year. And he was asking me where he should transfer to because he didn't want to be a bust. He didn't, he was so afraid of being a bust and labeled a bust and all. And of course I didn't answer because we don't get involved in any of that stuff, but it was very telling to me that he was asking, you know, a guy barely knows where he should transfer to and how scared he was of becoming a bust. So I think that plays into it. Yeah. I don't think this is a talent issue. I think this is either motivation or, you know, he was a kid who could get in his own head a little bit and worry about, you know, things off the field. And so, um, I'm hopeful when he transfers, he sees it as a fresh start and really can produce because, you know, he is a very talented defensive end, one of the best we've, we've seen in a long time. And it was kind of odd for years at Auburn. He really didn't do a thing and really didn't make an impact at all. So, you know, maybe transferring, you know, I'm not a huge fan of kids transferring all the time, but um, maybe this transfer will give him kind of a fresh start somewhere and, and he could start really producing and looking like the NFL defensive end. We thought he would he would become at Auburn. Somewhere. We all know, we all well, know where he's going to go. It's F8. Yeah. Well, where does, F- it, where does F- he go? Florida? FAU, baby. <laughs> FAU. Florida's not going to touch him. They're just not. Like, I, I don't think he's going to be a hot commodity out there. Um you know, I do think Lane Kiffin's reclamation project is is a good fit, and I think that's where he'll end up. Now, I don't have any inside information. I'm just guessing based on every other four and five star that's either busted out or or had trouble over the last year. Well, let's hope he's listening right now because uh, you know, kids, don't ask Mike Farrell for advice. He just won't. I get won't back even to answer you. you. I will not <laughs> respond to you at all. But but now. If you're now, asking Mike Farrell for advice, advice, you're really in trouble. Well, that's the thing, too. It's so funny on these messages where you're telling kids where to go, you're pushing kids to certain schools, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, if any 
idiot out there is going to listen to me, even if I told them where to go to school, then they got bigger problems. Because if if you're listening to some stranger, uh, you know, telling you where to go to school, and that goes for anybody in this industry, you really, you really doing a disservice to yourself. So I will not respond. I always tell them, listen, we've got a code of ethics and we can't get involved in the recruiting process. I've been asked many, many times where I should go to school or who would you pick or whatever. The answer is always the same. We have a code of ethics. In this case, since he was already a college student and we're not supposed to contact those and you know have a conversation with those guys without going through a sports information, I just ignored him. That uh, may seem cold, but listen, I'm cold. <laughs> Well, something we're we're well aware of, but um, no, just kidding. But uh, that takes us into our next topic. You, Mike, you put out a, a, an article earlier this week on Rivals.com talking about the biggest busts in the history of of our rankings. Um, and it, you know, it, we should mention that it wasn't just us that had By- Byron number one. It was just about every recruiting service out there um, had him at the top. But um, talk about that that article. You know, guys that you felt. Uh, you put on there, Ronald Powell, uh, Bryce Brown, um, and and guys who maybe were almost on that list. Yeah, and it's still on Rivals if you want to check it out. And again, you know, people are like, "Well, bust! You can't call you know such and such a bust." Especially you know Derek Williams, who had a who had a very solid career at Penn State. You can't fit in a headline uh, all time number one guys who played well but didn't quite play well enough to be number one in the country but really still had okay careers and got drafted anyways. I mean, it, it, come on, people. It just doesn't work that way. So bust is a little bit harsh. I think, you know, it's maybe a little early for Coward in hand, and we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, Bryce Brown was a bust, it, it, you know, it, just the way it is. He, he barely had a college career. Now he got a, you know, obviously had a, a one-year pretty good stint in the NFL. He's still bouncing around probably, but, um, you know, he was a guy who was, everybody thought was going to be great, had an opportunity to be great and didn't pin out. Ronald Powell was injuries. I mean, he had two uh, severe knee injuries and uh, hand is on there. And then Derek Williams was the one that a lot of people took exception to, you know, and then they're like, well, why don't you do a top four? Well, no, you kind of do five, 10. It's, it's one of those round number things. Um, so we picked a fifth guy. I thought about Doriel Green Beckham because he didn't have a great career, obviously, at Missouri. And then, you know, he got caught doing whatever in front of the stadium and, um, <laughs> then transferred to Oklahoma and never played. And, but he had a better NFL career. So when it was came to the tiebreaker, you know, between Derek Williams and, and DGB, I, I, I went with the NFL stuff. And, uh, I see Jimmy Clausen has been put up on our board as well. And, uh, you know, I don't think he was a bust. I, I thought he had a solid career. He was a second round draft pick. And, uh, you know, that doesn't qualify to me as a bust. And, and if you saw that offensive line that he was working with for the three years he was at Notre Dame, I mean, he was running for his life every second. So I, I, I never thought of him. It was DGB or Derek Williams. Yeah, DGB in high school. Remember him? He was he was so physically talented, but had a real tough time catching yeah, the ball. Yeah. And we, th- yeah, we thought he was, he would kind of learn that and kind of grow into his frame a little bit. And, uh, he did, I mean, it, it was off the field stuff that detracted him, but you know, as we look at rankings, Mike, and we should really always do this. We've had a lot of great number twos and number ones have kind of busted out a little bit more, but, um, 
you know, Cowart and, and Hand. I'm interested to see what Deshaun Hand's future holds because that kid is in, insanely talented. I mean, if you're, Rashawn Gary is definitely not a bust at all. He's he's a, a definite hit, and Hand is is almost just as talented as him. For him to struggle at Alabama, and you know, we've talked about this before. You could have one good year at Alabama, and you've seen it before, and be a first round NFL draft pick. But I'm not entirely sure that's Deshaun Hand's future right now. No, well, I, it could be, but you know what? I mean, it's the last chance, and we're what you know, three games into the season, and so you know. He had to be up there because, you know, he may very well be drafted in the second round. You know, I mean, uh, guys who I thought had fairly disappointing careers that were ranked number one by us or elsewhere, uh, like DGB, uh, you know, Mario Edwards, guys like that got drafted very high. Um, And, you know, so I think the talent is always there and there's always the intrigue of taking that talent and, Maybe they couldn't do what they needed to do at the college level, but we'll get them in the NFL and we'll turn them into great players and all that stuff. But I don't know. Um, the number two thing is very interesting. Um, not as big a problem earlier. Here's what happened, okay? And I'll take full blame for this. 2011 came around. Jadavian Clowney was a freak of nature. Best player I've ever seen in high school in person. Best defensive end I've ever scouted. I went a little defensive end nuts. Um, you know, now again, DGB was 2012. He was wide receiver, but you know, then it was Kim Dietschy. And remember that whole year we were, we weren't hundred percent sold on Kim Dietschy, but no one else took over. You know, Carl Lawson came close, but he was six foot two, a little sawed off, blah, blah, blah. Then, then, then my defensive end, you know, craze started a little bit more. And then we had hand, um, you know, but then we had Miles Garrett also at number two. So had we flipped those, we'd look like geniuses. And then you got uh, Cowart, and we had Rosen as number one heading into Under Armour week. Rosen blows off Under Armour, as is Josh Rosen, you know, the perfect Josh Rosen move. Cowart dominates the week, has a great game. We flip him back, and now we're kicking ourselves. So, you know, maybe I, I over I – I, I put too many, too many cards in the whole – defensive end side of the table and, and it went all in on that. And I'm learning from my mistakes, everybody. Wow. That, that's something you it's don't gross. hear often. That's a, that's a step in the right it's direction. It's called maturity, Mike. Gorney. Try to get some of it, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, speaking of, of mistakes or, or uh, you know, people thinking of a mistake. Let's move on to James Franklin calling that timeout at the end of the game. Um, they're up fifty-six nothing. Uh, who did they even play? I don't even. Georgia know. State. Oh yeah, Georgia State. So comes out to kick a field goal and he calls a timeout. A lot of people think he was icing the kicker. Um, people were real. Some people were real upset about it. What do you I'll guys let you think? go first, Gorney, because you're the Penn State grad. I don't have a problem with it. Uh... Franklin's explanation was that, um, you know, they had their fourth team field goal block on and guys were in the wrong positions and all that kind of stuff. But I don't have a problem with it. But what I do have to say about it is that it is certainly a culture change at Penn State. And Penn State fans are a group that like, you know, a certain way of playing football and not blowing teams out and not embarrassing teams when you're up 56 nothing in the fourth quarter. It was sort of, uh, you know, Talked about for years when Paterno would just win games 13-7, 20-14, and 
Bobby Bowden was down at Florida State, you know, putting tons of numbers on teams and Penn State fans kind of turned their nose up at that and said that, uh, you know, he was unnecessarily embarrassing teams. So I don't have a problem with it. Um, you know, if you want to go out and, you know, kill teams as, as much as you can and call timeouts at 56 nothing and do those kinds of things, you're setting an example and you're, you're having a kind of a culture change at Penn State. Um, but that is something... Uh, you know, Penn State fans hated James Franklin until they loved him and, and when they took him to the Rose Bowl last year. Um, so it is something that has definitely been different. I don't think it would have happened in the last 60 years or so of Penn State football, but I don't have a problem with it because it's telling kids that expectations are very high and you have to go out and perform every single play of the game. And so um, I'm fine with it. It probably wasn't the best look when it was happening or afterward, and that's why he got so many questions about it and had to defend himself, and and it was kind of a national story. But um, you know, he's setting he's setting kind of a, a you know a cultural statement there in terms of what they want inside the program, and uh, you know that's kind of the expectation now that they're going to play with perfection. I loved it. Um, now, you know, if I was covering the game or you know sitting there for four hours, which you know every college football game lasts four hours with a thousand reviews about this, that, and the other and commercial timeouts and all this other stuff. I would have been like, come on, there's 11 seconds left. Just no, stop. But I loved it. Um, one of my favorite expressions, and I can't cuss on this show, uh, but I think I can use the word crap. So um, Gordon Ramsay, a uh, big Gordon Ramsay, uh, you know, kitchen nightmares, uh, you know, Hell's, Hell's kitchen, kitchen, you name it. Uh, he said in One Kitchen Nightmares that somebody was crapping on someone else from a great height. And he, did, he didn't use the word crap, uh, but it was a great expression. And, and I'm going to start using it often with a British accent. And that is what James Franklin did. And I'm OK with it because here's the deal. They got a shutout. Let's say it comes down to, you know, who's going to make the playoff. And, and, you know, Penn State, a lot of people think Penn State got screwed last year. A lot of people think uh, a couple years ago, Baylor, TCU got screwed. Run it up. Get as many shutouts as possible. Do whatever you have to do to build that resume because you never know. Let's say they have 12 games this season and let's say they have five shutouts, uh, which is, you know, obviously quite a lot. That looks better than four shutouts. So now they've got a 56 and nothing shutout over an overmatched team that nobody cares about, but it doesn't matter. It's on the resume. So, you know, listen, it, it just crap on them from a great height, and I'm done talking about it. Yeah, I mean, here's my thing: is like all these people whining about it. It's you're right that it comes at the end of the year. He's thinking long term. It comes down to you know you have to split hairs when you're deciding between teams that make the playoffs sometimes, and so you got to think about that. Maybe he was also he wanted a, a certain. Uh, coaching situation where he wanted to teach his kids, you know, to do a certain thing a certain way at that point in the game, whatever, that's his job. And he's there to win games. And that's what he's paid to do. Because if he, if he loses games, he gets fired. Dave, so. Dave, <laughs> Dave, before you go, Gorning, can you please repeat what I said? Dave Barry. <laughs> what do Say you mean? My, my first, I want to hear my phrase. What, you crap on them from Thank a great you. height. I want, I want someone else on this <laughs> podcast to say that. I have no problem with what Franklin did, but come out and say why you did it. If that's the reason, if you want an extra shutout on your resume for the college football playoff, that's fine. But don't come out and say, oh, our fourth team field goal block wasn't in 
And I needed to call a timeout for that reason. <laughs> so come on, uh, Gorney, just come out and be honest. Gorney, name the last time a college football coach was honest. <laughs> name it. I want to hear it. Are you looking at other jobs, coach? No. Oh no, no, I love it. I'm gonna stay here forever. Two weeks later, another job. Like, oh I had a change of heart. They all lie. Everybody lies in this industry. It's what it is. So he's not gonna come out and say, I wanted the shutout for the college football playoffs. He's gonna lie, and that's his job. So lie, if you will, James Franklin. We'll move on. Uh I I don't mind it at all. All right. Well, speaking of of coaches and uh, coaches line, uh, we Mike, you put out an article also on Rivals dot com this week about um, coaches that may be on the hot seat or or close to it, I should say, under scrutiny. Um, on that list was Kevin Sumlin, Butch Jones, Brian Kelly, Mike Riley, and Ed Orgeron. What kind of feedback are you getting on there? Do, do people think that 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 list is fine, or are there coach? They, do they think there are coaches, other coaches that should be on that list? No, I mean, and I think the guy, you know, I I put him in order under scrutiny simply based on, you know, heading into the season and realistic chance of firing and all this other stuff. And I didn't put some other coaches on there that we know are going to be fired because they're not from big enough programs to really care about at this point in time. You know, I think Orgeron's probably under the most scrutiny. Uh, some some could say Butch Jones because of the way that game ended, and and that would be a good argument. But I say Orgeron. I mean, the way they quit against Mississippi State, nobody really wanted this hire, or at least anybody who wanted this hire is now saying they didn't want this hire, and they're going to be watching to see if that offense gets any better. And the defense looked horrible too. So uh, now he's not on the hot seat. That's why I called it the scrutiny watch. You know, which doesn't it doesn't mm. have the same. There's no emoji. There's no emoji for scrutiny watch yet yet i'm gonna create it and make a lot of money uh just like mason and the multiples which is really taken off by the way for oklahoma state i mean that thing is i'm getting calls from lawyers looking to trademark that thing every second but um scrutiny watch so he's not gonna get fired he's in his first year obviously but he's under scrutiny the guy who's on that list that is really kind of sliding under the radar who will be on the radar again very quickly is brian kelly because they beat a bad Temple team and a bad Boston College team. They played tough with Georgia, uh, you know, but that's a loss. Once they start mounting a few more losses, then he's going to be right on on that scrutiny watch even more. And it's really not just because, you know, of the on-field performance. Uh, It's just because, you know, of what he said this offseason about he he didn't have a good team last year because he was fundraising too much and, after the Georgia loss, he kind of snaps and, you know, but I really think Orgeron, I think he's on the hot seat. I, I wouldn't say scrutiny watch, Mike. I'd move him right over right to hot over seat the hot. because, uh, right over the hot, Emoji. uh, be, um, <laughs> uh, you know, the way they played in that game was not good. They have, they hired a new hot offensive coordinator and they scored seven points against Mississippi state. They didn't really blow BYU out. Uh, they didn't, the offense doesn't look much different really. Uh, they've tried some new things, and I know it's not going to happen immediately. Um, but that it looks like uh, you know the kind of the same offense with a worse defense. Uh, Mississippi State blew them out. There were no changes made in that game. Um, you know, Darius Geis is out for probably out for Syracuse this weekend, and so 
you know, I think he was on a short leash. Not, not many coaches are on a short leash the second they're hired, and I think he was. And um, I think it's hot, but absolutely the hottest seat is Kevin Sumlin at Texas A&M. You know, when Board of Regents are coming out on Facebook and deriding your coach and saying he should be fired now, that's not a good sign for him or for or for the program. Um, you know, I think one more loss and people are going to snap if they lose bad at Arkansas. Um, it could be it could be really bad and quick. Uh, they're talking about firing in midseason and the positives and negatives of that. And so, you know, I think he is definitely up there. Butch Jones is up there. The SEC could have a little bit of an overhaul this year. Um, you know, we're talking about a team, you know, a conference that f- hires and fires coaches. Jim McElwain took Florida to two SEC championship games and, and people in Gainesville want him out. So, there's a little bit of unrealistic expectations, and we're going to get into that, I think, a little bit about just how poor the SEC is after Alabama. Um, and so, you know, I, my list of, of hot seat coaches would be Kevin Sumlin, Butch Jones, Ed Orgeron, and Brian Kelly in that order. I think, uh, you know, if Brian Kelly continues to win, I know the schedule is is rough. You know, going to Michigan State on Saturday could be a really telling game for what kind of team they have because we don't know yet. You know, Georgia kind of shut them down, uh, and then they blew out two bad teams. But uh, those four guys definitely have to watch their backs. Well, you mentioned it, Gorney. The SEC is down, and that that's that is our next topic. Um, you know what what's going on this year? It, is, it seems to be a lot of parody. Um, Farrell, you want to talk about ranking the teams? Go, I'll let you. Yeah, go because ahead. people think it's easy. I I don't know why I did it. Someone asked me a Twitter Tuesday question about it, and. And I decided to rank the teams and I looked at it and I'm like, what, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? This is awful. You know, it's like, okay, one Alabama. And then I was like staring at a blank page and I'm like, okay, two Georgia. And then after that I was lost. Um, so there's just so many teams that are average, um, you know, and I think the Florida Tennessee game was a, a good indicator of that as though it was supposed to be, you know, two contenders in the SEC East, and, and I don't think either team looks very strong, uh, you know, overall. They have many, many weaknesses. So ranking them in order was was difficult for me. I can't remember the order I put them in. I remember people – I had Auburn, I think, fourth or something, and people freaked out about that, um, you know. But who else? Okay, so after Alabama and Georgia, give me the next two, Gorney. Well, that's the thing. You know, this week – uh, Florida goes to Kentucky, and a lot of people think Kentucky can win that game. Kentucky goes to South Carolina last weekend and beats South Carolina. A lot of people think Vandy could give um, Alabama a game this week. A lot of people you know, obviously watched Mississippi State pound LSU, and then they can go to Georgia this week and win. So I don't think it's a question of all of those teams are really talented. I think it's a question of all those teams minus Alabama are pretty average. Um, there's no offensive explosion uh, there's a lot of unders being hit in this conference uh, because defenses are good, but offenses are just really, really poor. Quarterback play is awful. Um, and so, you know, you have a lot of uh, talented defenses, but I don't know who the best, you know, after Alabama, um, is Mississippi State better than Georgia? We'll see this week. Is is Kentucky this, you know, sleeper power? I don't think so. I mean, they struggled against Eastern Kentucky in week two, and I don't think they're that bad, but uh, there's just no offensive firepower in this conference and there's a lot of good defenses, which leads to a lot of teams that just kind of look blah, which has been the way it's been for a while. You know, I mean, again, I think there's talented quarterbacks. I just think that the, 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 the 
feeling in the SEC is if you have a quarterback uh, that is talented, but you know he's not a superstar, and you've got a good running game and a strong defense, don't take any chances whatsoever. Just you know, have that guy be a game manager for you. Um, you know, Ole Miss is the exception here with Shea Patterson, who's putting up some crazy numbers, but you know, don't let him make a mistake. Um, you know, and then when you get into that mode, then you have low scoring games, which people find boring. I mean, listen, I thought the Clemson Auburn game was fun to watch because it was two very, very good defenses, but, um, you don't have the offensive firepower. And then if you do fall behind, you really have nothing you can do. I mean, Danny Etling's not a good quarterback. Once LSU fell behind, they had 0% chance of coming back. Speaking of 0% chance, there's 0% chance Vanderbilt's going to give Alabama a game this weekend. I know Vanderbilt fans hate, they hate me. They think, you know, uh, I hate them, blah, blah, blah. I hate everybody, so it doesn't matter. But I just, I do not see any chance that Vanderbilt, what's the, what's the line? Do we even know the line? 18 All right, I take Bama. I, not that Bama is like offensively a juggernaut, but I think we're looking at a, I don't know, 34 to 28, seven, 35, seven kind of game, 34 to seven type of game. I mean, that Vanderbilt offense is really bad. So I think Alabama will take care of them. Well, with that, do you want to jump in right now talking about uh, upsets? Yeah, 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 that's fine. I mean, let's take a look at the top 25. I'll give you my first one. Potential upset. Now, I'm not predicting this as an upset, all right? So let's not freak out. All right, Mike, let's hear your prediction. It's not a prediction. It's absolutely a potential (laughs) game to watch is NC State and Florida State. Um, NC State is a talented football team. They don't have a, a great team. By that, I mean they have some weaknesses at certain positions that can be exposed. Um, Florida State's been off. They're starting a, a new quarterback. Um, I think that could be a difficult game for Florida State when I look at the schedule. You know, Mike in his old age is really starting to hedge his bets here. It's not hot seed. No, it's whatever it's he not. called it. It's not. It's not. I'm not calling it an upset. It's a potential, possible, close game with. Yeah. Well, you know what? The hot seat thing. It, the problem with the hot seat thing is these these contracts. These freaking contracts. You can you can go like I won't name the school or the coach, but you can go two and like twenty two or whatever your first two years and get a five year contract extension. You're not on any hot seat because they're not going to buy you out. They're not going to pay you out. So you could go one and eleven for the next two years and you're safe, but you should be on the hot seat. But you're not because you're guaranteed to stay there at least two more years. So that's why the hot seat. I am very careful with that term because I get skewered, and I'm not going to go out and say I'm stupid in predicting NC State to upset Florida State. They're they're two touchdown dog, but if I'm a betting man, then I'm taking NC State. Now, that means everybody here should bet Florida State because I'm always wrong on the spread. Always. 100%. <laughs> I think I think two potential upsets. One, obviously Air Force beating San Diego State Please. this no weekend. <laughs> Rocky Long does not lose to the academies. I'll just tell you that right now. So, so go ahead and, and put your money on them on from, a, this, from this, a great height, right? if you want to call it an upset kentucky beating florida straight up i can see that happening uh in in a 7-3 defensive battle in lexington 
on Saturday. And then the game that a lot of people are picking and, and kind of like is Purdue taking out Michigan. Um, I don't, I don't see it happening, but Purdue's offense can really score points. And, uh, Michigan has had, uh, has had problems put, you know, keeping up, putting points on the board. I think Michigan's defense just mauls Purdue. This is still Purdue, um, even though they took care of Missouri, but, uh, you know, I think that's a 10 point spread and that's a juicy number. If, uh, if you're a betting man, like, yeah, like me, Purdue offense is going to be screaming for mercy from Don Brown and his, is gang of so murderous too. defensive players who are going to just destroy them. Now, here's another one. Potential trap game. Penn State at Iowa. What say you? You know, that is interesting. And uh, for our lock of the week picks, we uh, I, like, I looked at the numbers, and I think about 70% of bets are on Penn State, and the number's going in the opposite direction. So there's some smart money out there that's on Iowa Playing Iowa, Iowa at night, you know, ask Michigan about that. They lost there last last year. Um, you know, uh, Wadley is is banged up. Butler, the other running back, is I think out. So, um, but Iowa can throw the ball this year. Their their new quarterback, I think, has ten touchdowns and one interception. If they can score points, um, Penn State's going to put up points. I don't think they're going to be able to stop the dynamic duo of McSorley and Barkley in the backfield. And, you know, he can throw the ball down the field. But playing in Iowa City at night is always a tricky place. Uh, it's always a tough game. And really, honestly, Penn State has not been tested this year at all. We, we know Pitt is, is garbage. And, you know, they, they just blew out Akron and Georgia State. So this is going to be the first road game of the year. It's going to be a tough night environment. I could definitely see... Uh, a little disappointment in the Gorney household Saturday night. I think that I think Penn State will win, but not cover. I think it'll be a closer game than thirteen. Um, I'm trying to see if they're if I have the guts to predict a, a full out upset, and I don't think I do. I just don't see one here. Um, as I scroll through, no, no, I, I just don't see anybody beating. One of these top twenty-five teams outright, and and we know. Obviously. What about Toledo beating Miami? No. <laughs> or what about Rutgers over Nebraska at home? Oh, I'm not. No way. My, I would never say something like that. That's not a. That's not a top twenty-five game, Dave Barry. I mean, that's not even close oh, to a top twenty-five game, right there. That's that's called a Mike Riley survival game, right there. If they lose to Rutgers, yeah. watch out. You know, and oh this boy. is the thing. We're going to have – and Riley's not going to be one of them this year. It's not going to happen. But we're going to have a few coaches fired during the season. You already mentioned Sumlin. It's going to happen when, you know, when I have plans to watch like a like a Homeland Marathon or, you know, to go on some eating binge or something like that or, you know, uh, some, something. So it can happen at any time, you're saying? <laughs> something that brings me any slice of joy in my miserable life. <laughs> That's when it's going to come down, and then it's going to be like text message after text message. Write this article. Write this article. What do you think of this? These guys here. This. And I'm going to be like, I remember Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer decided to resign or retire. I'm sorry, retired. Uh, what was it? Christmas Eve. Yes, it was. It was like a couple of days before Christmas because I was courting my wife nice. at the time. And I was at her house, and I needed to work. And she was impressed that I needed well, to, you know, hit the phones and stuff. But I was certainly not impressed. Well, she's by not it. impressed anymore. So that's 
That's no, 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 those days are long. Gone, gone I think by. it was Christmas Eve because I was in my footy pajamas getting ready to open my presents. And then I hear that, that Urban Meyer is re- retiring for health reasons. And the next thing I know, I'm writing like six different articles and calling every freaking recruit and trying to get Ronald Powell and Matty Elam, who hate every human being on earth, especially me, on the phone. And it was like, oh, Merry Christmas to me. And my wife went upstairs disgusted with me as usual. So that's going to happen. But if, if, if Rutgers loses, imagine if they lose to Rutgers. I mean, if, imagine if Nebraska loses oh, to Rutgers. Boy. Like not just Illinois, because Illinois is the following week. It It's over. I mean, they're going to run them out of town. So – but I don't, I don't have the upset here. I guess the closest thing that I could say is, is NC State and Florida State. Watch out for that one. All right. Well, gamblers out there, you now know what to do. Uh, go ahead and put your money down and then let us know, you know, how you do. You can tweet at Rivals Mike or at Adam Gorney. These guys will want to hear about all your misery after you giving them, or after them giving you the wrong pick. So. Uh, with that, we'll get out of here. If we don't see a, a photo on a message board somewhere of Mike Farrell in footy pajamas, I'm going to be disappointed. <laughs> so somebody out there, opening make it presents happen. with right, Urban with Meyer. The- <laughs> in a I mean, you got to have Urban Meyer in a thought bubble. I'm opening presents, and I'm sad, and I got footy pajamas, and of course, I'm 500 pounds of obesity. That's <laughs> Got to be part of the uh, the the the, uh, the avatar, the, the gif or whatever. So start creating mainboard, folks, because you know I'm coming. All right, we'll be back with another edition of the Godfather and Gorney podcast here on Rivals.com next week. See you guys later.